Hello, my beautiful woman ink listeners. We are back. My guest this week is Camila Marcus. Camila is a chef, entrepreneur, and advocate dedicated to rethinking what it means to be a good neighbor through the lens of hospitality. Named one of Fast Company's most creative people in business, she is the chef and founder of Westbourne, a pioneering hospitality business that began as a zero-waste restaurant in Soho, Manhattan, which I just think is so cool. Since closing the restaurant doors in September 2020 due to COVID-19, Camila has grown the brand to include online retail, package provisions, and curated culinary experiences. She is additionally co-founder of Restaurants Organizing Advocating Rebuilding, Roar, and the Independent Restaurant Coalition, IRC, both started to advocate for restaurants and hospitality workers during the pandemic. I enjoyed this conversation so much with Camila. I love how she breaks down these concepts, which can feel really big. Totally 100% sustainability is something that has kind of overwhelmed me is how do I change everything in my life and this packaging and I really like this one brand, but it's not sustainable or right. Just like starting to rethink all of our choices and how it affects the collective good can be daunting, especially when we're thinking about drinking enough water and eating healthy and moving our body and meditating and is our family okay? And all of the things it's can be a lot. But what I love about Camila is one, just her ambition. I think it's so incredible to have the intention of not only starting a restaurant hard enough, but zero waste restaurant in New York City. I think that is just so badass. And I also really love how she broke down these big concepts in just really easy ways of just, just start with, you know, not using paper towels and using kitchen racks. And I'm like, oh yeah, okay. I don't have to change the world in one day. I can start small. And I think that is the best way to make any habit really last is small, small changes that we almost don't notice. Make sure to check out Westbourne, check out Camila, and follow along on her journey. And I hope this episode inspires you the way that it did me. Now, let's get over to my conversation with Camila. Welcome to the Woman Inc. podcast. This is the place for the new generation of women looking to lead the life of their absolute dreams. I'm your host, Jenna Toddy, entrepreneur, life coach, and strategist for modern businesswomen and entrepreneurs. I am a city girl, sriracha lover, and that friend who will hype you up when you forget how powerful you truly are. I am on a mission to make Women Inc. the most powerful network of women who are leveling up, owning what they want, and becoming who they've always wanted to be. Have you ever wondered what it would look like if you went all in on yourself? No turning back. If so, you are in the right place, my girl. Let's get started. Camila, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so excited to talk with you. I am so thrilled to be here. Thank you. So you have an amazing business. I'm very inspired by you. I've like so many questions um, <laughs> about all of your, all of the things. So, and I'm a big fan of your podcast. I love the guests that you've had on. I think it's so thoughtful. Oh, thank you so much. Okay. So before getting into Westbourne, can you walk us through what started your love for 
everything, no waste, and really having that be the intention behind building your business? Honestly, I think in hindsight, right? Hindsight's always twenty twenty. I think, you know, we always tell ourselves it's this pre-paved path, but I think we sort of rewrite that story, you know, looking backwards. And I think for me, really, you know, I grew up in Los Angeles in California. It was really a way of life. I didn't really realize that sort of the rest of the country, the rest of the world wasn't exactly living that way. Obviously, you know, there's sort of pockets all over that are sort of that same mentality. You know, I grew up, I, one of my neighbors was Mrs. Gooch, which was the predecessor to really the natural grocery market model, you know, decades before Whole Foods came on the scene. And I think even that alone, you know, she used to always let all the neighborhood kids try, you know, the latest and greatest natural snack. And, you know, we ate just very vegetable forward. We shopped at farmer's markets. We, you know, my mom really cooked very balanced in our home and we didn't talk about it. You know, it wasn't like we weren't raised thinking about a zero waste household. We weren't raised thinking about how food connects to our environment, but that is how everything was. You know, a lot of homes composted, a lot of homes grew their own food. A lot of my friends had, you know, chickens on their property and things like that. So it just was interesting. I think it was really just the mentality of growing up in Southern California where living in harmony with nature and thinking about things with intention is just sort of part of our DNA. And as a young kid, I was always very passionate about the environment. I've sort of recently discovered letters I wrote, you know, to the president about extinct animals and, you know, about the rainforest. And I I just think even at a young age, I was very aware at how much responsibility we really have to take care of things outside of ourselves and to really make those decisions, like I said, with intention and sort of a larger perspective. So I don't know, really, I think just from childhood. It's so interesting how children are so much more in tune to injustice. Like I remember when I first learned about like what eating meat was, I thought it was, I like cried. I was like, how, this is an animal? Like, I don't know. I just feel like children are so in touch. Oh, absolutely. And I think there's this feeling of you can change the world, right? And that you have an incredible power as one person, which, you know, I think our whole ethos at Westbourne is to hopefully reignite that in people that the power of one actually is impactful. Okay. So tell us about starting a restaurant. I know you closed your physical location in 2020, but the business has continued to grow since. Can you walk us through what it was like One, to start a business that is a restaurant and two, kind of like transitioning out of a physical location to a virtual business. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. The entire concept of Westbourne really was more than the four walls from the start. And what I originally was thinking about was really, I always had a passion in food. Like I said, I always had a passion for the environment. And, you know, I'm a born very strong extrovert. So always passionate about bringing people together and Really, you know, post-college and post the last, you know, big recession, I think for me, realizing that this rise in conscious capitalism, right, you know, you had the Warby Parkers of the world coming up and all my friends were really attuned to what they were wearing, what glasses, what shoes, you know, what travel suitcase they're purchasing and what it did and how it had a positive impact on their community or something larger. And that sort of mission-driven consumerism, I started realizing, hey, so interesting that hasn't really filtered into food. 
So when I first started working in restaurants, you know, no one was composting. Actually, my first restaurant job, I set them up with a composting program. I worked on <laughs> energy efficiency, lighting, right? LED technology was very early and people were not even thinking about, right, lights in a restaurant or in your home. So again, seeing that sort of it was far behind where other industries were and yet seeing my peer group really care and actually change so much of their behavior and how they were spending and buying things and talking about it and just the pride of which I think our generation wanted to do it better and be a little bit more mindful about those choices and purchases. But realizing the irony is we make, I, you know, I've always said this, we make more decisions about what we eat and drink in every day than anything else. And yet that has never really been connected, right? You eat at a restaurant. Most restaurants are hugely charitable. They're anchors in their neighborhoods. They give a lot. They're very connected to charitable organizations. And yet most diners don't really know. And so even working in restaurants that had raised so much for so much good and realizing that, again, friends who had eaten there, other guests really had no idea. Um, and just seeing where the the world was moving in that direction. So to me, it just felt sort of natural that, you know, natural to me that there needed to be a brand that stood for connecting food and how to take care of yourself with sort of a California mindset of wellness, which also includes taking care of our planet through one of the drivers of it, which is our food system. And again, having that collective impact of you eat and drink, you make more decisions about what you eat and drink in your everyday life than anything else. And what if a small fraction of every single meal, every single snack, every time you cooked at home actually could collectively have a pretty significant impact? So that was really the kernel of the idea. How do you go about it? I always say brick by brick, one foot in front of the other. And you know, you just have to remind yourself, I think anyone in any career, think being an entrepreneur, um, you know, and doing a startup really is no different. Every day is a roller coaster. Every day has wins and losses and, you know, joys and low troughs. And you just have to sort of see the North Star and just put one foot in front of the other, make one choice and then another and brick by brick. You know, I used to tell everyone in the restaurant, this entire business, our brand and what we stand for in our community will be built brick by brick, one piece at a time. It's very inspiring to me because building a business is hard enough, but building it with so much intention of zero waste is such a declaration that I just have so much respect for. For anyone who is trying to go zero waste or like inspired by even just trying to start going towards less waste, what recommendations do you have, like tangible things you did that are easy for other people to follow? Look, I think on a personal level, I really advise people start with one thing. That's sort of that one foot in front of the other, right? How do you train for a marathon? You go for your first run, right? And then you go for your second and then you go for your third. I look at life is long and something that takes time and dedication. So take one thing, think of one thing in your home, whether that's deciding you're just not going to use paper towels anymore or you know, you can use recycled bamboo toilet paper instead of cottonelle. You know, there's very small things you want to convert to a more sustainable cleaning product in your home. So take one thing and then see how it feels. And really, I think after you make one choice, it often leads to the next one and it gets easier and easier and sort of snowballs. And I think the same is true for business. I think that 
Look, I come from the camp of, again, Rome wasn't built in a day. And I think that all efforts are really positive and we should be supportive of everyone making those changes, even if they feel incremental and it's easy to sort of discard it and say, oh, well, it's not enough. I think a lot of times we do get down that slippery slope of judgment, right? Oh, you're trying to do good, but is it good enough? Is it really the very most sustainable it can possibly be? And I don't know. I take a much more, I think, balanced and tempered approach because to me, that's going to turn people off from even trying. And I think if every person tried and did some small thing, at least to begin, we would start to see a big sea change. So I think even in a business, take one thing, you know, your plastic cover on something and decide, you know what, we're not going to use plastic. Figure something else out and how it's packaged or take one ingredient and say, you know what, I'm going to commit to this one ingredient is going to be zero waste, you know, or an upcycled input, something, take one thing. And again, use it as a beta, use it as something that your team experiments with, and then assess it, how it felt, what it did for yourself, you know, for how you feel, but also how, you know, your community is responding to that. I just think Starting one piece at a time just makes it so much more approachable and realistic. You know, we also all only have so many hours in the day. I think especially when you run a startup and a company, there's only so many resources, there's only so many people, and you just can't do it all at once. Yeah. I think what's overwhelming to me is when I get like an Amazon package and it has so much extra stuff, like I'll order bananas and it will be in like plastic, everything. And I'm like, this is so unnecessary. And I'll always complain. I'm like, this had too much packaging. Maybe your answer for you is not, I won't buy from Amazon anymore. Maybe your answer is, you know what? I'm going to do one order every X period and it's all going to be in one thing, you know? And the things that I know have too much packaging, I'm going to decide to go to the farmer's market once a week. You know, I can commit to that or I can participate in a CSA, which by the way, comes to your door too often. There's a lot that will deliver. Hey, I can actually change a huge amount of the waste that I'm contributing by being part of a local CSA. So again, I would say take one step and it can be as big, as drastic or not as you want. Yeah. Wait, will you tell us a few of your, your like go-to tips? <laughs> I, I, I need this. Yeah. I mean, look, I think in homes, one, I really do think there's an overabundance of disposables in a home. I mean, even at Westbourne, we had upcycled denim napkins. We didn't use paper. You know, yeah. everything was as compostable as it could be. When you ate in the restaurant, you had ceramics, you know, and glassware that we washed for that reason. And it's amazing to see in homes, I find still kind of shocking how much disposables are. I mean, and again, okay, you want to have friends over, you don't want to do dishes, which I would say is just being a little lazier than we need to be. <laughs> you know, maybe it is actually going the extra mile to find something that's compostable instead of, you know, the plastic Dixie cups, things like that. So in your home, I would say paper towels are, are an easy cut. Um, there's really, really cheap, amazing kitchen towels. Every restaurant uses them. They're incredibly absorbent. They're very easy to clean you know, it just will actually change so much of your perspective. There's incredible companies that are on subscription now that have completely upcycled and recycled toilet paper. Like I said, I mean, that's another huge thing that people do all the time. Cleaning products. 
I mean, we don't use Ziploc bags. We use stashers. They go in your dishwasher. They're amazing. They come in a million different sizes. You know, using a scrub brush, not a sponge. You know, there's very small things like that where decide you're not going to use plastic wrap, right? Like there's a million different ways that, you know, there's tons of tin and glass, beautiful containers that are very easy. Again, a lot are not expensive. Just stop using plastic wrap and sort of commit to that. So there's a lot of those small things that feel so, and I get it. It's, you know, I totally understand how people feel very overwhelmed. It can feel daunting, but once you give it up, you really don't miss it. And it's kind of amazing. Again, I actually think in a great way, it becomes addicting. Yeah, I could so see that. I get like that with just like all my natural skincare and hair products. And now I'm so committed to Now there's a huge pressure on refillables, right? Like we don't need to keep buying the same tube of what we're getting. And again, maybe it's you commit to buying the larger container. You don't need the travel size. I mean, even when you travel, there are reusable containers that you can put what you have at home in it rather than buying. Like the thing I think should totally be illegal are those little teeny tiny water bottles that so many offices have. Like those shouldn't even be legal or you know what, let's tax them as much as, you know, diapers are taxed. It's like crazy. Totally. Yes. I'm I'm willing to make a lot of money, you know, for the NRDC through taxing these little tiny water bottles, which by the way, are two sips anyway. It's ridiculous. They're they're already annoying. (laughs) You know, things like that. Invest in a water bottle. You know, my... Those small things, right, when someone offers you a plastic water bottle saying no thank you and bringing yours, you know, put it in your car, put it in your purse, you know, strap it to your kid's backpack. I mean, there's just no reason that we really have to have plastic water bottles anymore. So again, I think thinking through the things that you use the most, starting with one is kind of how I think, and those are tips and tricks. I mean, Filtered water is great. There are water fountains in more places than you'd think. Restaurants are delighted to fill up a water bottle. You'd be amazed. You know, there's things like that that we tell ourselves are so hard and feel like such impossible hurdles, but they really aren't. That's such a good point. I'm very inspired right now. (laughs) Very inspired. I'm thinking of all the little products. I mean, voting with your dollars is also important, right? You know, showing retailers that you as a customer, you as a consumer really are caring about how it's packaged, how it gets to your door, who makes it, what it's made of, what they stand for. It does make a big difference. I mean, I know it seems again, sort of like, oh, what does my shampoo matter? I'm one person. But you know what? Over time, that's telling the Targets and the Walmarts of the world that at some point, there's going to be a domino effect and you know, everyone's going to start to care about that. And that's going to open up a lot more opportunities, shelf space, et cetera, for brands that do care. So it actually matters a lot more. Again, those individual choices that feel kind of meaningless are actually quite meaningful. Yeah, absolutely agree. So you were named, congrats, one of Fast Company's most creative people in business, which is incredible. (laughs) How do you look at creativity um, within building a business and how do you feel like you're able to grow your creativity? So interesting. I was just having this conversation with a friend, especially coming from the food world with a lot of chefs. It's very similar, right? You might own your own restaurant, you run the business, but if you are the chef as well, there's a whole other side that requires a very different part of yourself, your brain, your soul. I think the 
first things first is actually looking in the mirror and realizing that that's a huge value and that it's really important. And for most businesses, it's one of the most important things that you contribute that not many people can, right? I always say to founders, you know, and friends, again, who are chefs or creators, like you really have to be almost obsessively focused on the thing that only you can do. And you really need to figure out if there's something that someone else can do, they need to be doing it because Again, you're only one human. You only have a certain amount of hours in the day and burnout's real, right? So I think one is really being sort of valuing it inherently and then prioritizing it with your schedule and how you delegate and how you share responsibility. And I think third is really, I always say, I can't, I can't bring my best if I don't feel my best. And I do think that mental health, sanity, sleep. I mean, I am notorious. I sleep over eight hours a night. I have two kids, one on the way. I run a business. I'm a crazy person. But (laughs) I truly, even since I was a child, if I don't have eight hours, even one night, I will feel sick the next day. And if I do two nights, I will feel like I need to go to the hospital. Like my body really breaks down. It is very palpable. And I'm sure a a lot of us push through that. You know, we caffeinate, We do all these things to push through it, but I can't think clearly and I feel it. We all know what that feels like when that fog rolls in. So for me, it's also really being honest with yourself, what you need to feel balanced, what you need to feel recharged, what you need to feel complete. And also what time of day, like I do my most creative thinking, frankly, at night. And when I'm out and about doing things is really when I start to feel, you know what that feels like, right? When you have like little lightning bolts in your brain and your mind is wandering and it just feels so free and open and kind of electric. We all know what, I always call it in flow, right? Like, you know what it feels like to be in flow, whether that's going for a hike, whether that's for me, travel is a big one. You know, when I eat out all the time, it's because that's where I'm getting the most ideas, being around people, going on a hike, going to the beach, traveling, exploring, and something that's really kind of out of my normal routine. I'm someone who can't, if I'm home 24-7 or I'm too structured in my week and my day, I can't be creative. It doesn't work for me that way. So I think for me too, it's also figuring out where and when you are most in that flow state and making sure that you dedicate that and give yourself that and nourish yourself with that so that you can do your best on the creative side. and. And I also, I think for me, the last piece too is, and I think it's the biggest friction, frankly, probably in a business, whether it's with a team, with an investor, with other people, with your friends, with your partner, with your kids, it's not measurable. It can't be scheduled. It isn't, there isn't a direct ROI. It's so gray, right? I always say it's like, There's certain jobs that are very black and white. There's certain tasks that are very black and white. There's a lot of responsibility that we have is very black and white. Creativity is this beautiful, messy, unwieldy, unprogrammed, unscheduled, you know, wild, many, many, many shades of gray that I think is sometimes hard for people. And it's hard to explain, hey, you know what? I need to have time in my week that's spontaneous. I mean, even with my own kids, I can't have the same schedule every day, every week. I mean, I will just explode from the inside out. And I just know that. And I really try and fiercely protect that and make sure that, like I said, I'm really fueling myself first and foremost. Not always easy to do. But again, if you start with that, you value it and you understand how you tick and where you're in that flow state, 
I think it becomes a little bit easier to just own the fact, like I said, that it's, it's not measurable, it's unwieldy, and you gotta, you know, you can't cage it in, you gotta let it go free. Yes. I talk about flow state all the time with my team. Someone on my team the other day was like, I heard someone say flow state. I didn't realize that was a thing. Like, I thought that was just a Jenna thing. I'm like, no, (laughs) Uh, that's so good. So one, please tell me how you sleep having kids because that's my biggest fear having kids because I love to sleep, like love to sleep. By the way, I'm not only a big sleeper, but I'm not a morning person either. So it was a very big fear of mine too. And, you know, I'm always very open. You know, I wasn't sure I wanted kids for a very long time. I froze my eggs when I was 30 because I knew I wasn't even sure I wanted them. I wasn't sure if and when that sort of trigger would ever go off. And that was another kind of just my natural lifestyle and my own circadian rhythm that made me very afraid. It's possible. I want to give all the all the humans out there props that like anything that works for you will eventually work for your kids. So for me, I think that we do everything as a family in a way that fits. So my kids don't get up till eight. Even if they're up, I don't go in the room till eight. And we even as infants sort of did their whole schedule with the idea that if I am up before 7.45, like you don't want to know me. I do it very rarely. I will do it. It is not the best Camilla that you will get. It is not my proudest (laughs) moment. I don't feel myself. I feel like those Snickers commercials where you're like, you know, Betty White took over your body. Like (laughs) someone else is in there. It's not me. And really like for, and then for sleep, really, it was just, we spent a lot of time, thought and energy on sleep training and helping have them have a very smooth and dependable and very calm sleep routine so that every night I really focus on that because I want them to go to sleep peacefully. I want them to stay in bed. And also we train them that way, right? Like my kids are up before we come in the room. They talk to each other, they play, they entertain themselves. Again, I think we tell ourselves if my child's up, I deserve, you know, they deserve me coming in the room. I need to service them right away when really one, you don't, but two, it actually builds a lot more confidence for them to know they're safe right? If something was wrong, your parents would come in. It's okay. Like you are in a safe space. You are in your own room and you have your imagination and an entire world around you. The second you're up doesn't mean that your parents are on call. I just think we sometimes look at things through a less balanced lens. And I think for me, you know, family is about all participants. And I think that should include the parents as well, not just, you know, a kid makes a sound and you jump in right away. I mean, they also have to learn that. And I think it's really rewarding for them to see that they can actually really take care of and soothe themselves in a way that sometimes we don't give them credit for. So you can sleep eight to nine hours as a parent, I can assure you. And again, it doesn't mean they're asleep the whole time, but my kids are in bed at six and we do not get them till eight. And it is very possible. This is so expanding to me and I'm absolutely (laughs) going to call you when I have kids. (laughs) Please do. I am. I always tell any any parent, I am happy to be the hotline. And I, I think it's about like not being afraid, right? And not judging yourself for the fact that things actually can revolve around you and that that's okay. I mean, I actually don't think that there's a bad thing with that. Yes. So thinking of the future of Westbourne and just really your life, what are you most excited about? 
Oh, so much. I mean, first and foremost, the unknown. I really do. I love, I've really never been a huge planner. I'm not a five-year plan kind of person. I think I look at things through such an expansive view. And I also feel like every year opens up things that none of us could possibly imagine in great ways and in scary ways, right? I mean, I think we've seen that no better than these past two years. In so many ways, it's been so tragic and so brutally challenging, but there's always a silver lining. And I think so many people have ended up with life changes and new shifts and new transitions that actually helped them in such a better way. I mean, I even have friends who said, look, I almost never would have had kids if it wasn't for the pandemic. It slowed me down and helped open that part of me. That's extraordinary. I mean, I wouldn't wish a pandemic on any of us, but there are really interesting silver linings. So I think the future for me is bright because it's so unknown and I love the road less traveled and I'm I'm very into adventure and the journey. So I really get excited about having no clue where the road's going to go. Uh, like I said, I actually would get more bored and stifled if I knew it. And I also think that, look, we have such a long way to go when it comes to sus- sustainability and food. I dream of a world where we don't see plastic on shelves anymore. I dream of a world where more people are in touch with how their food is grown, thinking about maybe growing something at home and that next generation growing up more like the bubble that I grew up with and not even knowing the difference. So I think that we have a huge, huge way to go, but I find that exciting because I see the change coming and I think it's really rewarding to get to be even a small part of it. Yeah. And you're due like super soon, right? I am. <laughs> it's really I know, I'm like, oh my God, she's amazing coming to the podcast. I would be like, but I'm out so of commission for nine months. That. You say that, but and everyone says that, but it's so interesting because what are you going to do? What do they say? You don't watch a pie bake. You know, you don't watch water That's boil. Like, what are you going to do? That's be at true. home. <laughs> There's nothing really, I mean, there's nothing to be done. And in anything, it's better for labor, delivery, your mental state, your physical state to be, again, doing the things that fuel you and finding a way to balance and nourish yourself. And that's not going to happen if you're just sort of, I don't know, sedentary at home. And it's different for everyone. I get my energy from being out in the world. I get my energy from being busy and feeling productive. So I don't know. I just, I don't feel like it's a healthy Uh, I don't feel like that's a healthy environment for my kids if I'm, you know, home kind of waiting, looking at my belly. So, and you look stunning. I can't even like, I would have no idea if you're pregnant if I didn't follow you on Instagram. (laughs) The camera's cut. Each pregnancy is really its own, uh, it's its own universe, really, and physical, mental spiritual, all of it. It's just each child is so, so different. The experience is so different. And, you know, it's been, yeah, it's, it's always a new adventure. So this is always a question that I end with. What is your number one piece of advice for a woman who is wanting to start her own business? Oh my gosh, I have so much. Um, I'm going to give a couple. Am I allowed to give a couple? Yeah, of course. Okay, good. I know some, you know, some people are like, no, I want five words. I'm like, I can't stick to five no, words. No, we have no rules here. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> like, I've never been someone short of words, so I'm not good at short answers. And I just don't think that these things are that simple. <laughs> I mean, first and foremost, you know, I, I always have everyone who works with me read Shoe Dog. I think that 
Nike is an extraordinary company, but again, we look back and tell the narrative that it was this pre-faded, you know, mega company when really that is so far from how it started and how it evolved and what it became. And I love the unexpected winding road that it took and reminds people again that the most important thing for an entrepreneur, my first piece of advice is just do it. You can't overthink it. You can't overplan it. You can't predict the road. You can't structure the five-year plan. You know, you got to throw out the playbook. You just have to get in the water, start to swim. And okay, if you need to switch your stroke, you switch your stroke. If you need to switch pools, you switch your pool. You have so much more at your disposal by being nimble and open-minded and a little bit crazy, a lot fearless. Um, but you don't know if you don't try. And I also think that no matter what, I don't know, I just, I never, it always hurts me to feel like people are talking themselves out of something that might bring them joy, teach them something, help them grow. You know, success really should come from within, not some sort of outside metric. And you can't script it. So just dive in, don't be so afraid, and know that. You have an extra bathing suit. You have an extra towel. You got, you know, different strokes to pull from. You have friends to jump in the pool with you. You know, you can switch pools. I mean, there's just always... So that's my second advice is remember, every decision earns you the next one. Don't be afraid to make decisions. Don't be afraid to make choices. Do them with an open heart and open mind. Be willing to learn every single day. Throw curiosity at things it will help you get to that next decision. And so it's not about the destination. It's about how do I get to the next decision? And how do I get excited about making those choices? I mean, that's the best benefit as an entrepreneur is that you get to make those choices. That's the greatest privilege. And then third is really, I think the most important thing is your village. And that goes personal, professional, all of it. You know, what do they say you are the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. And many of those, if you're an entrepreneur, are going to be people you work with. Remember that the goal is to have fun. The goal is that your cup is filled. And a lot of that comes from the people around you. And don't be afraid to raise your hand and ask help, Ask for help. Don't be afraid to enjoy and allow yourself to remember that it is supposed to be fun. Um, but I do think the village, I mean, people make everything. I used to always remind people in our restaurant too, a plate of food is a plate of food. A human being with a soul behind it made it. And you can taste every bit of them in every single bite. People mm. grow our food. People bring our food to the restaurant. People make it. People consume it. It all comes down to people at the end of the day. Build your village. Be there for them. Show up for them. Include them in what you're doing. Invite them. Be vulnerable with them. Ask for help from them. Inside, outside your organization, random. I'm like the queen of the cold. <laughs> My team knows I am the queen of the cold call. I am not afraid to ask someone on a blind friend date. I have made some of my best friends in my whole entire life. Literally cold DM on Instagram, like into what you're doing. Love what you stand for. Can I buy you a coffee? Like want to take a walk. I mean, I just think we... Yes. Entrepreneurship can feel very lonely in a lot of ways. And I think it doesn't have to be, but you have to be willing to put yourself out there. Ooh, that was like a TED talk. That was good. (laughs) (laughs) 
That was so good. Are you listening? I'm ready to give that one. (laughs) That's amazing. Camila, thank you so much. I am personally so inspired by you. I know that our listeners will be as well. So thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you for what you're doing. Please keep it up. Like I said, I love your podcast. I love so many of your guests that you've had on. And I think that you're so thoughtful and shining such a bright light. And I was so excited to be asked to be on this. So keep doing what you're doing. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Okay, I hope you enjoyed this episode and are feeling so fired up to go out there and create that business or side hustle that's been on your to-do list, you know, a little bit longer than you care to admit. It is never too late to make the first step towards the life you want more than anything else. If you haven't already, make sure you are subscribed to the show so that you never miss an episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, keep becoming the woman of your wildest dreams.